Coming up on the Men Up podcast, we have got our first guest of season five, a familiar voice, familiar face, co-founder of Men Up, and just an amazing force out there in the world, George Black. You know, as we're reflecting on this episode, and just reflecting on the Men Up podcast over the last five seasons, I'm left thinking about how powerful it is that we get to bring on guests that, for me, are some of my very best friends and are people that challenge me in really powerful ways. And so as we head into this holiday season, this time of giving gratitude, this time of hopefully making connections to our community, whether that's family, friends, our local community, I just encourage all of us to have the people around us that are challenging us in all of the ways that are going to move us forward. And if we have those people, and if we can be those people in each other's lives, well, I think that's going to be a pretty great holiday season. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, if you can take a moment to go over, give that five-star rating, of course, if we've earned it, but also give us some feedback, write those reviews. And finally, if you're interested in staying up to date with the Men Up podcast and Men Up generally, head over to themenup.com and you'll see that you can sign up for our newsletter for all of those updates. All right, y'all, episode four, here we go. And welcome to the Men Up Podcast. I'm Christian Shabu. What up, y'all? Lamar Womble. And we are so excited to welcome our first guest of season five, returning guest, co-founder of Men Up, youth worker, seminarian, so many amazing things. We are reunited and it feels so good with George Black. Bow, 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 bow. Always a pleasure to be here on the Men Up podcast. Love Men Up. Love y'all. I'm excited. We are so excited to have you, George. And, you know, in this season, we're bringing back some of our favorite guests, closest friends, folks that have really uh, brought some powerful perspective to the Men Up podcast and to the Men Up work generally. And none better than you as one of the co-founders of Men Up along with me seven years ago. That was seven years ago, George, that we started Men Up, which is pretty incredible. I was actually just having this conversation with my brother. Because <laughs> I was telling him I was going to be on the podcast. I was like, yo, if I said eight years. I miscounted. But uh, I was like, yeah, it was, it, was, it was seven, eight years ago. Man. Like, this is actually crazy. We are focused on boundaries here in season five, understanding our own boundaries, understanding how to maintain those boundaries, honor the boundaries with other folks. What do we do when we step over or break boundaries with one another within ourselves? So that's really where we're focusing our conversation. And I'd actually love to start at the point where as co-founder of Men Up, there came a moment where you made a decision, right? That you need to focus your time and energy elsewhere, need to step away from Men Up and the work we were doing. And I know that, you know, that meant you had to set boundaries with me, with Men Up. Uh, and I know sometimes too, that I can be somebody that can push the things that I want, right? So you had to maintain those boundaries. It wasn't just like you put the boundaries up and I was like, oh yeah, cool, George, not a problem. Yeah, I, I pushed you at times. <laughs> also like with, with Men Up, when we play music together as the man band, shout out to the man band, uh, I would often ask you to play music and, and to push that because I love to and I love you know singing and playing music with you and you'd have to set that boundary too. So I would just love to know like, how did you go about one, understanding that that was a boundary you needed to do? Like things that you loved, but also you understood that in your life, you had to set a boundary there for where you were at. But then also, how did you maintain those boundaries with me, with somebody who we have a very strong relationship, friendship, uh, plutonic life mates, maybe? Definitely not 
maybe we we are we are platonic life mates. You know what I'm saying? Stop stop playing, Christian. It's funny that you start with that because I think the reason why I knew it was so important to keep those boundaries is because I love you so deeply, right? Uh, because our friendship is so important to us. And what I mean by that is uh, the best definition of boundaries that I ever received ever of all the definitions is uh, that boundaries is the distance at which I can love me and you at the same time. That is not my words, but it is definitely something that's been super helpful for me in framing boundaries. I remember that season when uh, I had to step away from men up. Um, I was in a pretty difficult season in work. Um, uh, I was uh, in the process of beginning to take care of my grandmother, who um, is older and um, needed assistance. Um, There were so many transitions that was happening around then. And when I asked myself, uh, what needed to take a back seat. Unfortunately, it uh, kind of came up as um, to the top of the phone, if you will. And so we had the conversations and and I remember it was it was it was hard. I knew it wasn't going to be easy. I remember talking to my partner at the time about the fact that I had to talk to Christian about this and he was not going to be happy. But what I was also clear about was that I was never able to separate the work of men up from our relationship, from our friendship. Right. And so once I set the boundary, I knew that in order to be in proper and right and good relationship with you that felt healthy and life-giving, um, that I had to maintain that, right? Um, because I wanted the space between us to be as clear as possible so that we can continue to be the best friends uh, that we could be. Because quite frankly, I wasn't willing to lose your friendship um, in that process. So uh, I think that is really what made keeping those boundaries, I won't say easy, uh, but if they're clean, there was a clear on-ramp, right? Because I was clear about what I wanted on the other end, right? I wanted to be here, right? For four years later, I think, right? Um, And still be able to say that you were one of my best friends. Thank you for sharing that. I don't think we actually ever talked about it. So wanted to Want to talk about it because we're in we're in a season of boundaries, understanding them here on the podcast, and also it seemed like a really great opportunity to to understand it more. One of the things that I realized about boundaries was the fact that whatever bitterness or resentment in my life that I've experienced, nine times out of ten, it was a fact. It was because I failed to keep my own boundaries. Mm, yeah, and I'm not saying that a broken boundary is always the the individual's fault, right? But I am saying that. There were many times when I really was a yes and I gave a no, right? Or I really was a no and I gave a yes. The amount of sleep that I have lost in those moments because of those moments, right? Um, and the amount of bitterness and resentment that that kind of surfaced was, was palpable. And so I knew the risk of there being like bitterness and resentment between us in ways that I was not. I didn't want that, right? <laughs> I didn't want that at all. But where where did you like learn to even like have that level of maturity to consider all the gray area in between your boundary and you breaking away from men up initially, like where would you even use, what did you use as a guide? What was your reference points to like live in those, live in that uncomfortableness uh, to make the decision you did and then to go have the conversation? Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a few things. I feel like that season was a season marked by what I would call incredibly difficult and uncomfortable conversations. Um, and what I realized was that when I reflected back on my life, I realized that there were many, many times where 
I had experienced pain or turmoil, and I would say like a long-term pain and turmoil, <laughs> uh, because th there was a moment that I could pinpoint where there was a difficult conversation that needed to be had, and I was afraid to have it, and so I didn't have it. I was afraid of the rejection. I was afraid of what the person would think of me. I would. I was afraid of their reaction. Um, I would. I was afraid of what all of that meant about me on some fundamental level, right? And so I think in that in the season of me stepping away from men up, I was also in the midst of a lot of other really difficult conversations. And I remember making a commitment to myself in that time of even if I fumble through it, even if I. Uh, mess up the words, even if I say something in a way that causes us to have to come back to the table and clarify, I have to at the very least have the conversation, right? Um, so that I can go to bed knowing that I was honest with myself. George, you know, one of the things I've, I've admired a lot about you over the years, both as a friend, as a colleague, as a partner in Men Up, is how much you're in conversation with yourself, right? And you're talking about, you know, having to have really difficult conversations with folks that you care about in your life, whether it's during this season or other seasons. And before that, it seems like before you have those, what can be uncomfortable conversations, you end up having to have a conversation with yourself first to understand what are those boundaries? What am I experiencing right now? So can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like for you from a sort of practice level or behavior level? Because I think you do it really well and I know I've learned from it. And so I think folks can really learn from it related to how we understand our boundaries and, and have difficult, uncomfortable conversations with other folks when we have to establish boundaries. You know, I wish I could say, you know, when I really have a hard conversation on the horizon, I really take about a, an hour to really journal about the, and I'm really specific and intentional. And I would just be lying if I said that. Um, what I will say though, is that I try to journal every day. You know that? Uh, this the, the electronic journal, the remarkable. Um, I bought one of those because I was so clear that I write so much and I journal so much. And instead of write, buying another paper journal, I'm just going to buy this electronic book um, so that I can hold all my journals for years and years to come. Journaling in many ways is uh, a form of prayer for me. It's, a, it's the way that I, 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 I talk to God, that I, I, I talk to the divine. And so, um, which I am uh, more and more convinced really means, right, that like I'm, there's, I, I'm more and more convinced that there's less and less space between what it means to commune with the divine and to commune with my highest self. Um, not that those things are one of the same, but that there's very little space between them. I think journaling, really getting clear on why I'm, why this conversation needs to be had. Um, and then honestly, there's a point where before I have the conversation that I, uh, I do like a bit of like mourning and in this morning, I would say, and this actually is something that I actually do before a hard conversation. It's something I did before my conversation with Christian about men up, um, and other hard conversations is I, I, I sit with myself, maybe some music is playing, maybe I'm just being really quiet. And I just let whatever feelings of fear and anxiety come up. Um, and sometimes I cry because it's so intense. So, uh, but I just let all the things that I'm afraid of feeling, I just allow myself to feel them right there in the moment. Um, because often I think 
the reason why we avoid hard conversations, why we why we avoid setting clear boundaries with people is because we are afraid of those feelings, right? And we're afraid of what those feelings mean about us. And I think this is especially true for men, right? Um, we are often really afraid of feeling things like fear or insecurity or uh, to admit that like, this person is really important to me and I want them to like me, <laughs> right? Uh, we're, we're often afraid to admit those things. And once we can get clear on the fact that, oh, this fear is because I feel like in having this conversation, I may potentially lose something or someone deeply important to me. And that is frightening. That is frightening. And also in the midst of that, it is important to recognize uh, that we can't sacrifice ourselves, our relationship with ourselves for the sake of relationship with other people. And no good friend would want us to do that. That's great practical advice. Um, in terms of places where we have to set the most boundaries, work, personal life with friends and with, with partners, romantic partners, of the three, where, where have you found it the most challenging and where have you found it the easiest to have boundaries? I would say the hardest place for me has been friends. And I would say my reasoning for that is, so let's be clear. There was a point in my life where I, bound, I was not setting boundaries, right? Where people would make a request and I would say yes, because I really wanted to be liked and I would move and burn out and whatever. And that was school, work, uh, church, romantic relationships, friendships, whatever. I would, I would just say yes. George, when was that shift for you? When, when, because we've talked about this, like in the first couple episodes we had as a team, we talked yeah. about how the conversation around boundaries for ourselves, like is fairly new, right? Like even just the word itself, right? But understanding our boundaries, articulating them, honoring them with other people. Like when was the shift for you? It was around the year 2016. So I recent. A, oh, oh, heck yeah. Yeah, all this is the last six, five, six years of my life. Like people are like, George, you're so good with boundaries. And I'm like, I spent 31 years being right. <laughs> trying to figure it out. <laughs> Very clear. I'm here at seminary and folks will see me kind of like not doing something I don't want to do. And they're, they're like, oh, George and out, George is out here Georging it. And I'm like, what does Georging it mean? Oh, Georging it means that you're doing you're not doing something you don't want to do. Like you're not gonna do what you don't want to do. And I'm like, that's a thing. Got it. Five years from now, that would not have been a thing. <laughs> like five years ago, rather, that would not have been a thing. Um, so I went through a divorce, and and it was in that divorce that I recognized the extent to which I am so prone to making decisions that other people feel good about, that other people think I should make, but that uh, didn't serve me or that didn't make me feel close to myself. And if I had been honest with myself, I would have not have made those decisions, right? And so it was it was after my divorce and then reflecting my divorce on my divorce that I had recognized I need to stop doing that. <laughs> that I feel I feel really far from myself. And being far from myself caused me to behave in a way and treat people in a way uh, that caused a lot of harm, to be honest, right? Like I, I was not a great person. The years after my, the, the, about two or three years after my divorce, 
I was very much a person I would never want to be again. It was in response to me trying to uh, avoid and numb the feelings of shame and failure, right? That came from me making decisions that were not rooted in what was best for me, but rooted in what I thought would make me look good to a particular community or group of people or um, people whose affirmation I really, really wanted. When you said like George is George in it, right? To me, when I hear that, that's like a, a like a, a brand. Similarly, I was on a call with a guy uh, last week and he was like, yeah, I was looking around your stuff and it, it looks like like you do a lot around empathy. And I was like, well, that's not my thing. But like, if that's what you gathered from what you researched on me, then, but that's what I want to be putting out into the world. Like, that's my line, right? And so it was just one of those moments I was like, you know, I was feeling what you were saying because I think boundaries can also be a version of like who you want to put in the world. I think it's hard for me to separate brand language from business, which for me personally is often unhelpful. It is important to ask yourself, like, what do you want people to associate you with when they see you, interact with you? Like, what do you, what words do you want to come to mind? I like that people think of me as someone who, whose yes is yes and whose no is no. George, you've mentioned that you're at seminary right now, that you're on your path pastoral education and and moving in those ways uh, professionally. But you're also somebody who's had a deep connection to your faith for as long as I've known you. Talk a little bit about one, like what's your experience been so far, like newly at seminary, but but also, you know, how has your understanding of boundaries or, or maybe even zooming out to talk about our, our communities, our society, like how do we understand boundaries through faith practices, through Christianity or, or otherwise? So one, seminary is great. Seminary is great. And uh, it's interesting, right? Because part of me being here is allowing myself the freedom to say, I've wanted this for a decade. And I get to celebrate the fact that I'm doing something that I've wanted for a long time. For clarity, I am, uh, I am a postulate for holy orders in the Episcopal Church. So I'm, my hope is to be a priest in about three, four years. And I want to be a priest because I want to be a prison chaplain. And, you know, I struggle with the idea of academia as some integral part of my formation as someone who wants to do the work of God in the world. I'm like, this feels unnecessary. Um, until I was in a classroom with a, with a, with a professor. Her name is uh, Judy Fentress Williams, this famous Hebrew scholar. And she starts quoting the Shema, which is this ancient Hebrew prayer. And... She was breaking it down. She was giving me the words. And, and I remember crying in class because of the what I felt like I learned about God and about myself. And I'm like, oh, I can see the ways that even though it doesn't feel necessary, that academia could be a space where I'm formed, right? Um, anyway, that is a quick, not so quick answer to how seminary is going. I'm, I'm loving it, actually. I think so far as boundaries and faith, what I believe is in a, uh, a doctrine called the Imago Dei, right? This idea that we all, every human, regardless of who we're talking about, bears the image of God. And it is in that image bearingness, right? That is the seat of our dignity, right? Like with this unshakable kind of truth about every person who has ever walked the earth, God said, let us make them in our image that we, that we look and take after the divine in a way that I think we often uh, don't know, right? In fact, uh, there's this theologian, his name is Athanasius, 
who says that to dehumanize someone is to hide from them the knowledge of God, that they don't resemble and take after the divine. There's this unshakable truth that that holds our dignity, right? That that we that we then get to move and act in the world in a way that um, we have permission to move with courage, right? Because we're clear that the the thing that we're afraid of happening, we, the thing that we're afraid will happen, will not happen, right? That in trying and failing and setting boundaries and messing up and uh, having scary conversations and not getting it right will never take away from our fundamental dignity. When I'm so afraid to have a conversation with my friend, right? Because this friend is really important to me and them being a part of my story is important to me. I can acknowledge that truth and at the same time say, and what is fundamentally true about me is that I am worthy of love, belonging, and connection. Hard stop. I love that because so many folks are scared to have the conversations that it actually makes you easier to love because now you know what this person wants, doesn't want, needs, doesn't need. And it makes it really easy for you, even if it's a negative situation. And I, when I hear you say that, I just relate to a friend of mine who was not about like guy banter. And he was like, yeah, I don't like when y'all talk to me like that. And I'll just never forget it. And I was like, got it. <laughs> you know, what I mean? and, and from that moment on, I was like, wow, I don't know if I ever would have had the guts to say that. And it wasn't really guts. It was really just like him speaking from his heart about how he wants to be treated. And um, I, I, I had a high level of respect for that once I actually realized what he was doing, because I didn't really get it until like a year later that he was like, oh, he's laying the groundwork for how he wants to be treated and loved and respected in his friendships. What's guy banter? Just to clarify for folks, what do you mean by that? He was an old roommate of mine. And I think we were at home one day and we were just giving him a hard time about, I don't know, maybe something with his girlfriend or something, right? And he was, or and I don't even know if it was that. And we were just maybe giving him a hard time or making fun of him about something that had happened. And he left the room and came back out like an hour later and was like, yo, fellas, like, I, I, I love y'all, but like, I don't, I don't like that. That's not how I, I don't, I don't interact that way. So don't, don't do that to me. Well, I, I like him already. First you're like, dang, bro, take it easy. Right. You know, but, but do you real later on, you realize like, oh no, I, I like to call it the check, some, check somebody once method. You check somebody one time and it don't got to be dramatic. And that's what I was going to say. Like these conversations that people have, like, it doesn't have to be, all this, it could just be like, hey, don't treat me that way. I am a huge proponent of the idea that there's nothing quite as loving as clarity. Just like, hey, we're humans are meaning making creatures. And without all the information, we are going to make up stories. It's just what we're going to do. And so be as clear as possible, as often as possible. And you stop people from making up a whole bunch of stuff. And then also now you know how to love me well and you can opt into that. And they'll think twice. I mean, they will think after you check them once, they will absolutely think twice if they care. Right. And if they can continue to have a relationship because a lot of people will cut it off at that moment, right? The moment where you actually are like standing up for yourself 
people don't know how to respond to that. And they just expect to be able to, and it's not that they expect to walk all over you, but they don't expect to be checked or yeah. told how, how you should love them. And some people will walk away from that because they're like, who do they think they are? And I'm like, you mean somebody that loves themselves? <laughs> like, like that cares for themselves and wants to be, <laughs> wants to like be clear on like how they want you to treat them? Like, okay. George, we've been doing a practice here over the last couple of seasons where we want to create space for our guests. Obviously, we've been in conversation here together, but we always want to be intentional about creating space. If there's any questions that you want to bring to the conversation, mm-hmm. to us, to offer up today. Yeah, that's good. Um, I would love to ask what what has been a way that y'all, both of y'all, have uh, either reminded yourselves of your own fundamental worthiness uh, or or affirmed one another in that? I would say it's honoring uh, the words of my closest friends, you, George, Lamar, other folks. Uh, particularly during seasons of challenge, right? This is something you brought to me, George, uh, you know, probably about six or seven months ago when I was experiencing some real challenge in, in a lot of ways. And you, I'm paraphrasing here, you said it much better. Uh, so if you can share it with the audience, great. But it's like, you know, in these moments of real challenge, when, when you know, when we start to look in the mirror and we start to think down on ourselves or poorly of ourselves, like listen to the words of like the people that know you closest, right? If you have that kind of like faith and vulnerability and love with those people. And, and so I think honoring my worthiness is actually honoring the relationships, the trust, uh, the love, the vulnerability that I share with folks like you and with Lamar and, and to trust those words and support in really challenging times and trust that it's true, right? Because it can be easy to say like, well, well, maybe because this thing's not going right in my life, this friendship isn't really what I thought it was, or they're not telling me the truth. But I think in those moments, uh, it can be really powerful to, to lean on those words of the people that really love you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. No, I think for me, this, something that just happened, you know, when we, when we were driving back from filming the podcast in person, like, you know, Christian and I had, what, literally eight hours in a car. And, like, I think there's a difference between, like, an eight-hour car ride when you're 25 and an eight-hour car ride when you're when you're damn near 40, right? And so, you know, similarly, I went to New Orleans a couple of years ago and with my cousins who had always felt distanced from my, from my, my brother and I. Um, and... We had what we like to call the cousin reckoning. Well, I call it that. And uh, what that that moment brought to me is like, you know, whenever I have a chance to uh, verify with my family or my loved ones, friends, if I'm showing up in the way I need to show up, that way they need me to show up, um, I'm going to ask. Um, and I think on that car ride back, Shabu and I both kind of had like a, a affirmation of like, Nope, you show up the way I need you to show up. And nope, you show up the way I need you to show up um, in a way that was really like validating um, and also uh, reaffirming that like, hey, I pull, let, pull, let's pull in some more. Like come get my boundary for you specifically. My boundary is very open and wide and come get, come get some more of this. Uh, and I'm going to see you and show up for you in ways that you need me to, if I'm not, but we both were very clear, like, no, you're good. We're good here. You know what I mean? I think, I don't think a lot of people have that conversation about like, are we good here? You know what I mean? It was very important for me to do that. Uh, but also to hear from him 
uh, that I, you know, in, in our relationship that he gets what he needs from me and vice versa. George, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, always you're with us, right? But particularly for season five here today, we appreciate you uh, and we love you. Yeah, man. I love y'all. The Men Up podcast is a Grin and Bear production. The soundtrack is courtesy of Mike McGinley Music and visual artwork by Viotti Design Studio. Video clips from each episode are edited by Joe Oliveri. The executive producer and editor on the Men Up podcast is me, Christian Shabu. You can listen to us every week on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts or by visiting themenup.com.